With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's another week and another great cricket chat for you. I am Menes. I'm joined by my co-host, Gav Joshi. Gav, how are you today? Fresh off commentating on the Shield, New South Wales, Victoria? Absolutely. Certainly fresh. Uh, <laughs> last few hours, just waiting at the dressing room, watching Thunder and Lightning. But it was good because, you know, that's the time you sort of uh, in and around the players, you have a bit of a chat and get a little bit more info than maybe you would know about. Of course, Australian selector Tony Dondabad was around, Baxter Holt. Um, good conversations and, yep, it's nice to have some extra info that's probably now out in the public. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to diving into some of those insights during this podcast. I was commentating at points during that game. I had a great time watching Will Pekofsky back, and we'll get into that later on. But let's get into all the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And we're recording this Wednesday morning Sydney time, which means the T20 International Series versus New Zealand starts later on today. Australia taking on New Zealand in three T20s. And they've made a change that the Chapel Hadley Trophy is on the line for this T20 International Series. Normally in the past, this trophy was reserved for 50 over games between New Zealand and Australia. But because of the absence of any bilateral one-day internationals between Australia and New Zealand, they are putting the trophy up for grabs in this T20 International Series. Australia holds the trophy after winning a one-day series back in 2022. But, Gav, I actually really like the Chapel Hadley Trophy. To me, it does mean something, and I think it's a sensible thing to make it apply to this T20 Series. I I love these names. Uh, You know, you got the Beto and Kadir Trophy when Pakistan was here, the Gavaska Border Trophy. I actually like this treasure, these names as well. But I think that was great in sort of that, you know, mid-2000s. But now there's just so much cricket around and, you know, teams are playing each other so frequently. I think they've become a little bit, I won't say irrelevant, but they've just lost that value, lost that context. But, um, look, I I, I absolutely love the T20s against New Zealand. You know, I think we start off at Wellington. Um, I I think the crowds will be really vocal, so... Look, it, it's unfortunate. It's just the nature of cricket's going at the moment that it's probably lost all these all these treasured names like, you know, Frank Worrell and so forth. Yeah, but I think this is a good thing to 
um, make it up for grabs in this T20 series. Just adds a bit more context to it. I mean, we've got the context of building up to a T20 World Cup, but there is pride at stake. We all know that, you know, Australia and New Zealand have a pretty fierce rivalry on the sporting field. So the fact that there's a trophy on the line does add greater context. And, and let's be honest, Gav, you know, we might never win the Bledisloe Cup again. I don't think Australia's won it since... 2002, it says on Google. So this is our only chance to get a trophy off the Kiwis. I actually like the context. Yeah, I like the context too. I think it, it, it adds more meaning to the series. And they have confirmed that they won't be using ICC, sorry, they won't be using the Chapel Hadley Trophy in ICC events. I think in the 2019 World Cup, they put the trophy up for grab in, in the one-off game in the the World Cup, but they won't be doing that again. And I agree. I think ICC events don't need the extra context of the Chapel Hadley Trophy. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I think, like I said, we're probably looking into it a little bit too much. I think people just want the game to be started. And uh, maybe if it's a big test series, that, that makes sense. But over a T20, who holds the trophy, the names, um, like I mentioned, they, they, they were treasured. But I think cricket's gone on. There's just so many trophies, so many cricket actions. I think that that we're probably losing that sort of relevance, whether that's Australia, uh, New Zealand, Australia, India, whoever it is. It's just good to get one over our trans-Tasman neighbours. All right, there has been a squad change to the Australian T20 squad. So Spencer Johnson has come into the squad basically for Marcus Stoinis. Aaron Hardy was set to replace Marcus Stoinis, but he got injured in the Sheffield Shield match. So Spencer Johnson is replacing Stoinis instead. I think that's a good thing. The more exposure Johnson gets to international cricket, the better. He's a perfect like-for-like replacement with Mitchell Stark. So I think it's a good thing to see him in this series. And it'll be a challenge on those small grounds with his extra pace. Um, he'll, He'll have to really be bowling well. Yeah, you, you mentioned small grounds. The first one's at Wellington in, in that uh, cake tin, as they call it. But uh, I don't think that's as small a ground as you think. So, But at Eden Park, of course, which has got very unique dimensions, you know, some boundaries can be like 50, 53, 54 metres one side and sort of 88 on the other side. So it, it, it's quite unique. Um, but, yeah, I, I like it, uh, you know, I don't know if Stark will play all three games. Maybe with Johnson there now that he might have a rest, especially if Australia go two up or, you know, they are quite quick turnarounds. And, of course, one eye on, you know, the the two test series, which is back-to-back tests as well. Um, We might see, you know, Starky maybe get get a bit of a breather. Yeah, maybe. But the perfect time these games start for Australian viewers I think they start at 5 p.m. local time in Australia, yeah, Wednesday 10, and Friday. First ball. And, then first on, ball. and then on Sunday, I think it's 11 a.m. So nice yeah. early starts and uh, should be a very good series. David Warner held a press conference a couple of days ago and he did call out the Kiwi crowds for the personal abuse that they've directed at him in the past and he made a comment that if those people want to come to the ground and abuse the Australian players, then they have to go home and live with themselves um, what are your thoughts around that? Look, it, it's rivalry. I mean, you know, Australians don't like New Zealanders when it comes to sport, it's, whether that's Bledisloe Cup, it, it could be any others, you know, it could be rugby league. Uh, it's just a relationship we have. Um, I mean, speaking to a few of the Australian players, they still think the worst crowd, which probably 
you know, gets very abusive and personal abuse is the one in South Africa. Um, mm. You would disagree. You're probably thinking the English, but it, no, it's, it's South Africans more, are bad. It's South Africans. Are, so, I mean, you know, Warner, if I put my Kiwi cap on, I would say, well, hang on. I mean, Australia, you know, our, our players keep going over to uh, Australia every sort of a year. Your boys don't even come over. So when they do, we're going to all save it up here. And well, I, have, has, has David Warner even gone to uh, New Zealand after the Sandpaper Gate? Oh, I don't think he has. Um, so they're probably saving all that up. So, And, you know, the test match is sold out. I think we'll get a big crowd tonight. Uh, I'm sure we'll get that <laughs> on Friday too. Um, all right, look, oh, oh, it's just natural. I mean, for, for, for cricketers to, to, you know, sort of go on there and say, oh, watch out what you're saying. It's, I mean, I don't, the, the Poms say, you know, Australians always cheating. I think the Kiwis have probably got every right to start doing, you know, Australia's always whinging. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think our crowds are perfect either. But I no, do think I'll, sort of more, more broadly speaking that I think we're moving to a time where, you know, abusing someone personally while they're at work is, is probably not on anymore. You know, I, I think just put the sort of draw a line in the sand. In the end, these people are in a workplace. You know, I wouldn't go and stand next to someone's desk and start abusing them while they were working. You're not getting paid $2.1 million a year. You're not You're not in front of the public, right? I, I, I have, I'm not saying people should be abused, but it's, 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 it's part of the game. I'm not saying personal abuse, but people would, it, it's emotionally driven. Um, you know, people get patriotic and, and I have no doubts about it. And there are, the security is quite good. I, we've seen that with the Australian crowds. You have to, um, you know, absolutely credit some of the things that Cricket Australia have done. You know, you, you can't say things that you could maybe 10 years to a player. So, Cricket Australia and the security system around the Australian grounds has to be credited across all sports, you know, whether that's racism, whether that's, you know, discrimination, whatever it is. So I, that that is fantastic. So if New Zealand, um, you know, security and Cricket New Zealand um, have been able to do that, we're yet to see. And I, I think, you know, security boards around have come down strict on crowds as well. So there's no need for Warner to go you know, say all those things now because what I feel will happen is when you bring it up, I think you're more prone to actually, you know, cop a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying that will be personal, but there will be more booze. There could be more whatever they want to say. So, yeah, look, it's best to to leave it. Like, Mm. I think Warner's lit a fire. Yeah, and I also think Warner's probably not the right player to talk about it because, yep. you know, not so long ago he was Australia's attack dog. You go back to pre-Sandpaper Gate, he was the one sledging opposition players. He was the one yep. really getting into it and he was yep. incited by Australian management. But, you know, if someone's going to speak about it, Warner's probably not the ideal person to do it. But, you know, yeah. if, if someone like Cummins or Mitch Marsh brought it up, 100%. maybe it'd be received better. Yeah, and, and the ways, could you imagine if that question was asked to Mitch Marsh and he said, well, mate, the Australian people boo me, so I'm going to cop it. And when he's, mm. when he's while Warner's sort of gone on the other side and, you know, and you might say, oh, as you rightly mentioned, yes, five, six years ago, like he, he, he led this sort of, you know, bullying approach, you could say. People don't forget that. And, and as I mentioned, you know, a couple of minutes ago, 
Australians haven't even been to across to New Zealand. So, you know, the, all the people who have been patriotic, who follow New Zealand, like, I can't wait to get this bloke on our shores. Hasn't happened for five years. So when he's, it doesn't matter if he might have changed as a person, but hang on. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give it to him, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think theoretically, I think as, yeah. as, a, as a society, and I know this sounds um, a little bit, I don't know, politically correct or whatever, but I just think we need to maybe, you know, sports fans from all around the world move past personally abusing players. Well, look, I I don't think you can stop anybody. Like, you can't, I can't, what I, as I mentioned. Especially they've had a few beers or something. Well, you can't because, like I said, it's emotionally driven. It's People get patriotic. But what I do... But you look at 2019 in the World Cup, you know, Coley had to go out and talk to the crowds to leave Smith and Warner alone. I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah, yeah, but that's a different phase as well. You know what I mean? Like, Coley went through a different phase, right? If that was three years ago, you know, Coley won't do that. Coley as a person has changed, you know, and that's because of the the phase of life that Coley has gone through. He had kids, he married, settled, different. Coley wouldn't do that in 2014. Coley asked each of his players to go stand up and sledge the Australians in 2014. So it depends on the person. When it comes to crowds, what I, you know, as, as I mentioned, what I do admire is what Cricket Australia has done is they've updated security. If you hear some bloke saying something that is abusive, you can report that to security and they'll be on to it. And I think that's what Cricket New Zealand will need to do if things get out of control. I'm, think, uh, I'm sure that they've put all that in place. Yeah, and the ECB should do it. The problem is there'd be no one left in the ground if they did that. Um, so, um, okay, so moving on. Um, so the big squeeze is on now for one Steve Smith. So Mitch Marsh did the pre-series press conference and he talked about the stra- the way Australia's T20 batting lineup is coming together for the T20 World Cup. And it appears that Steve Smith may be on the outer. Now, Mitch Marsh said Warner and Head are the opening pair. Mitch Marsh will bat at three, Glenn Maxwell four. Then you've got at five, you've probably got a bit of a battle between Inglis and Stoinis. And then Mitch Marsh said Tim David is number six and he has a unique set of skills. And then it looks like Matty Wade will be at seven. So, Gav, that doesn't leave any room for Steve Smith. It doesn't. Um, but, you know, it, it just depends on kind of the pitches you're going to play on as well. But in saying that, like... This Australian batting lineup so powerful. Um, uh, you know, all you need is Tim David six balls to change the game. We know what Maxwell can do. Yeah, you're right, but I think he'll still be, get a game somewhere. Don't forget, these are the last T20s Australians would play before the World Cup. Now, Tony Dodamade was was that, telling us that as well. So there is a lot of focus on, and I think some of the tactics that we see here might be something in terms of whether that's batting order or, you know, uh, get, maybe Adam Sample will open the bowling. Uh, I'm not sure. So, uh, you know, whatever it is, I think we're going to see it. But the conditions, the West Indies could be totally different as well. And that's why I think Steve Smith will probably still make the squad, whether he's in the 11, could depend on the conditions. It's a bit like Marcus Labuschagne. You know, we, we yes, I know Marcus Stoinis was injured, but as soon as we got to the tail end of the World Cup where you know, scores around that 240 were, were going to be competitive, there was no need to have a hitting power. You know, you, you probably need someone like Amanus who can bay, play 80 ball 50 and he'll win your World Cup. So that's something that to take into consideration as well. 
So you think Steve Smith might be able to play the anchor role on the sort of slower, lower wickets in the West Indies I, in the USA? I, I wouldn't say the anchor role, but, yeah, you, you never know. I, th- I think if the pitchers, are, you know, they're probably going to be sort of um, – US Indies pitchers generally slow. Um, you know, I think Australia's going to be playing a, a few a day games, I understand, um, or might, might be some uh, – could be even some night games. And I think over in – so I think he can. I think he'll make the squad. Uh, no guarantees of him making the play, playing 11 all the time. Yeah, because I think his best spot really is opening, and we saw that when he came back to the Big Bash the season before last and made back-to-back hundreds for the Sydney Sixers. I think Steve Smith, if he fits into this side, it would be opening with Warner. But I actually don't think it's the worst thing for him to be not in our T20 side. And, in fact, if he was left out of Australia's T20 World Cup squad, I wouldn't be too disappointed. I think Smith's at the phase of his career where he should just focus on test cricket and one-day cricket. You know, he's a good T20 player but I think the game's sort of moving past him a bit and I think when Smith really tries to sort of slog he starts to lose his shape and I I don't think it's good for his batting so as much as I like him if he was you know as much as I think he's a great player I think if he's just playing test and one day cricket that's not the worst thing for his game. Yeah I I sort of agree but but I just see just the way this team is I reckon they'll, they'll, they'll definitely um yeah, you know, there's just the camaraderie there. I, I can't see Steve Smith being left out kind of uh, um, of the T20 squad. Yeah, maybe he'll be in the squad, but as you say, not quite cracking the 11. Pretty handy reserve to have if someone were to get injured. And as you say, this is a really important series with the build-up to the T20 World Cup in Australia have a full-strength squad. Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark are all playing. I mentioned Stoinis is missing with a back soreness. And the only other player missing is Matt Wade, who's missing the first game because of the birth of his third child. But really, this is as close to our World Cup squad as you're going to get. And it's actually very rare that you see Australia put out a T20 squad this strong in a bilateral series. So it's, it's quite quite enticing. Yeah, absolutely. And like I mentioned, it is the last games before the um, the T20 World Cup. Also, the fact that, you know, a lot of the, the big guns have had a, a bit of a breather. Um, I think when's the last time Stark and Cummins would have bowled um, was the SCG. So it's, it's, yeah, it's about, yeah, about, you know, it's a, they've had a good sort of 15-odd days break, which is perfect. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've got the two tests coming up, which they might be asked to do a bowl a little bit more. So I think it's perfect for them. So I'm not surprised. But, look, it looks – it's a very powerful batting lineup. I mean, I, I don't think Australia's ever had such power um, or I don't think any team in the world, maybe the West Indies when they won the World Cup in 2016, you know, like I said, Darren Sammy down at number eight who could just belt ball around the place. But that top seven, if you say Tim David bats at seven and maybe Wade at six, oh, yeah, I, well, there's a chance that uh, that Wade will bat at six and maybe um, David at seven. But, uh, if, look, it's just got so much power, this team. Yeah, more power than we've seen from Australian batting lineup. New Zealand's T20 squad is very strong. They've got a very good bowling attack for this series. Trent Bolt, Adam Milne, Tim Southie, Lockie Ferguson, Matt Henry, Ish Sodi, and Mitchell Santner is the skipper. 
Finn Allen is one to watch with the bat for New Zealand. Obviously, Devin Conway, a great player. Ratchin Ravinda, Ravindra, who made such waves during the 50-over World Cup. And, of course, Glenn Phillips, who's such a dynamic middle-order player. So I think this is going to be a fantastic series and a, a great little prelude to the Test Series that starts right at the end of this month. Um, with the Test Series, there has been a huge blow to the New Zealand attack with Kyle Jamieson ruled out of the Test Series with stress fractures in his back and he's actually going to miss a whole year of cricket now. And that's a huge blow. His Test record is 80 test wickets at 19.73. So he's a huge hole in the New Zealand bowling lineup. I think uh, if you ask me for a very early prediction of the test series, I would have gone 1-1. Um, but right now I'm going to go 2-0 because Carl Jamison is out. That's how a big loss I think it is for New Zealand. Look, he can handle the bat. I think he and not sure what his average is. He and he's unique. You know, he he's six foot seven. He can hit the pitch hard. He can move the ball, swing the ball. Uh, he's enormous loss. Like if you had him at you know, especially when the ball, um, you know, we know Matt Henry can move it. We know Southie can move it. But once the got ball got slightly older, you know, with his height, um, and we know someone like Amanus Labuschagne's had a bit of trouble with the ball rising or being a little bit quickish off the pitch. And Wagner from the other end, you just thought New Zealand, even if the ball gets old, had enough arsenal to sort of, you know, keep pushing Australia um, after that sort of 30, 35 over mark. But with Jamison out, I think it's it, it's massive. I mean, yeah, like I mentioned, I, I think it's I think the series might be two 0 now because Jamison's not playing. Yeah, I agree. Huge loss and such a shame. I was looking forward to seeing him bowling to Australia. All right, we're going to take our first break and then we'll be back to talk about the Baz Ballers getting absolutely thumped. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Manners. I'm with Gav Joshi. We're going through all the cricket headlines. And now a headline I'm very thrilled to read out. England were thumped by India in the third test by a whopping 434 runs. It is the eighth biggest defeat ever in test cricket history. It is England's second worst defeat in terms of runs. It is only second to their 562-run defeat by Australia back in 1934. So 90 years 
since a defeat this bad for England. It is also India's biggest ever win by runs, overtaking their 372-run defeat of New Zealand in 2021. Gab, this was an absolute mauling, and England, they didn't have a good test match, and they paid for it. Yeah, look, I mean, sometimes I think figures are slightly skewed. I mean, if you look at who was on top after day two, you probably say an even test match. You could probably say it's one of the quickest turnarounds um, in, a, in, a, in a test match um, because I think, you know, when Ben Duckett was batting the way it was, I think two for, what, 240 it was, testing England only trail by 200 runs. So I don't think you would, yes, the figures will show it's a shellacking. But, you know, the way England, they were never going to bat for a draw. That's not their style. So you're probably going to see a few of these things. We've seen it in this sort of baseball era when I think the second or third test match as well, like at Lords against South Africa, they were rolled for about, you know, 100-odd. Um, so it's it just that's that's the risk with it. You know, Owen Morgan applied the same sort of theory in one-day cricket where he said, well, if, if we want to get 340. If that means us getting out for 80, let it be. So... Look, I think India deserve more deserve a lot of credit. I, England, I thought they weren't as bad. They, I don't think you know when you reflect on like such a big margin, you think England were shambolic. I, I don't think that that was the case at all. I think they were quite competitive until day two, and then it's just that first session on day three where England, India sort of you know that it's a, it's a batting collapse that they had, which is. I mean, you know, as as in Australia, you know, we've seen thousands of them over the last twenty years. So, not a surprise, but I, I don't think England was shambolic as for what if people think, you know, what the the runs were. But yeah, I mean, but for me, it was just you know, it was such a such a brain fade from England. So, I mean, you look at that second day, as you say, yeah, England uh, India bowled out for four forty five. England are two for 240, and we had the great thing on the second day where Ashman took his 500th test wicket. Um, and just before we move on, I mean, that's he's got such an amazing record, a 501 test wickets now at 23.93, 34 five-wicket hauls, eight ten-wicket hauls. It's just an incredible achievement to see him take 500 test wickets. We don't see the best of Ashman when he comes to Australia, but we certainly see the best of him when he, he bowls in, in the conditions that favour him. And Nathan Lyon put out a, a video tribute to Ashwin. But, you know, that's a phenomenal achievement. To do it in 98 test matches at such a low average is incredible. Well, I mean, I would argue that probably didn't see the best of Ashwin for these couple of tours. But I thought in 2018, in that first test in Adelaide, where India won, I think he was outstanding. Um, of course, got injured, didn't play the next the next three test matches. Then again, I thought when India won last last time around, I thought he was phenomenal. You know, he, he had the he had the wood on Steve Smith. Um, unfortunately, yeah. didn't play in that last test match. But on a flat SCG pitch, I think he still got Steve Smith and Manus out twice. So, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say we haven't seen the best of Ashwin. I think in the last two tours we have probably not the one before that one. So, hopefully, we'll. See something, uh, you know. He, he's still at 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 his best when India come here on our shores in, in November. Um, but look, it is. I mean, five hundred wickets for an off spinner bowler. We don't see those off spinners. We don't see, finger spinners have gone a little bit. Well, I won't say they've gone out of the game, but they almost rely on like. Um, and and you see him in in, in this series as well. He probably hasn't been as successful because. You know, his workload's been managed. India also had 
someone like a Jadeja, you know. If, if you think about it, it's a little bit, a little bit like saying if, if Josh Hazelwood wasn't around or Pat Cummins wasn't around, then who knows? Mitch Stark might have 500 wickets by now. Like, so if Jadeja wasn't around, then maybe Ashwin... You know, 600, 700. Could, could have 600, 700, absolutely. So, he, um, he's the same age as Nathan Lyon. He's 37. You know, Lyon said he wants to try and make it to the next Ashwin tour. That's another three years away. How long do you think... Ravi Chandran Ashwin has. Uh, look, I think he, I, I think he'll have more because I think he could go to forty. Because let's think about it. I think India's gone through a bit of a generational change. I think we've seen that in the Test side as well. But he's just going. He will always still feature in the IPL. But apart from those two months, you know, he's just going to be playing Test cricket. Um, I don't. I, I can't see him. He was part of the. T20 squad. He might even make the T20 squad this time around, although I doubt it. Um, and it, uh, but apart from that, he's going to give up the white ball game, and it's just going to be red ball cricket. So, and as we've seen, the durability of a cricketer when they're just playing the red ball format, whether that's you know you look at Anderson and Broad, they they last one day it was 2015, and they went for you know nine years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you look at you look at Nathan Lyon, he hasn't played white ball cricket for a long time, but and he just keeps going. And that's why we get to commentate him on the shield, plays a lot of first-class cricket. So I think so. I, I think Ash will go. And he's not, when I say, you know, in terms of he, he bowls more with his with his hands. Nathan Lyon's more sort of uses his body a lot more. So I think he has less impact um, when it comes to, you know, constantly trying to bowl. So I think he will go for another, you know, maybe two or three years for sure. And what's, I think, maybe also not spoken about much is he's actually one of the greatest all-rounders the game has ever had. I mean, he's got five test centuries and 14 test half centuries, you know, average just under 27. So you add that to his 500 wickets, that's a phenomenal record. Yeah, it is. I mean, a lot of his batting success probably came early on in his career, and I think out of those 500s, four have been against the West Indies, not trying to take anything away from him, but... Um, uh, I mean, look, Jadeja uh, is a way better all-rounder than cricketer than Ashwin is. Um, but look, th- those two have been sensational. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely got ability with the bat. Um, but yeah, like uh, I mean, it's just he, he he's he, he's just a he's a bowling scientist. Like some of the things he does, and speaking of Nathan, sometimes off record, he's just like he's a freak. Like some of the things that. He, he wants to do, and he, he's learned. Nathan Lyon has learned from Ashwin because he talks about that if you, you know, change your action slightly, if you, if you move the seam this way or that way, if you put your index finger slightly across the seam a bit more, what happens? Ashwin will do that, and he'll try these things at home, and then you know execute them. While you know Ashwin, you know, so for him to do that is one thing, but to think of doing those things. He's just phenomenal. He's one of the most, you know, you speak to Ashwin and he's one of the most, uh, he, he would just, he, he's a bit like what Manus Labuschagne might be, but in the bowling departments. But also, you know, he, he's just phenomenal that what he can do. Absolutely. So let me set the scene. So Ashwin takes his 500th wicket. England have a phenomenal end to day two. They come out on day three and there's still 220-odd runs behind um, India, but Ashwin has had to leave the Test match due to a family emergency. So, England, uh, India are playing one bowler short, and then Joe Root plays what 
Shieldbury described as the worst shot in England test history. England were 221 runs behind India when he played the shot. They had eight wickets in hand and he tried to play a reverse lap sweep basically off Jasper Brummer, hit it straight to Jace Wall at sort of second or third slip, who took that catch is underrated how good that catch was because that ball was absolutely flying. So that um, had England three for two, 224, and then they collapsed to be all out for 319, basically lost eight for 90. And, and you know, that is just dumb cricket. They had India at their mercy. They just needed to dig in, battle day, and, and they probably could have been sort of level par in the test. Instead, Root played the dumbest shot of his career, the dumbest shot in England test history, and they collapsed and ended up getting thumped. Yeah, I wouldn't call it the dumbest shot in history. There's been <laughs> a few other ones that I can mention. Um, but, but, look, that's baseball. Now, yes, look, we, we saw the same thing. I, I compare this test match a little bit to the second Ashes test where okay. I think, you know, where Duckett and... Can I just jump in, though? Just, yeah. Michael Vaughan wrote an article and he said... <clears throat> His major criticism of England is that they're not learning from their mistakes. So you're right. They made the same mistake at Lords when Nathan Lyon limped off and they capitulated there. And Vaughan's criticising them for not learning and realising that sometimes you need to change your tactics a little bit. Yeah, maybe you can argue that they did learn and then went back to, to draw that series against Australia too. all. So... You know, Michael Vaughan's got every entitled to his opinion, but I think Vaughan is that type of player when things are going good, he'll jump on that bandwagon. When things are bad, he'll jump on that wagon. Well, you know, you look at Nasser Hussain and uh, and, and, and Mike Atherton, who I, I believe have made the right comment, saying, yes, Joe will know that. Now, Joe Root's smart enough to work things out. I mean, when he was doing it against Pat Cummins, we were all applauding it. Um, so it's it's just one of these things in baseball. That, and, you know, having spoken to a couple of the English journos and they said, like, chances are that when Joe Root's come back and settled in and Baz and Brendan McCullen, if he's ever said anything to Joe, it's like, mate, that was a good catch because if it was like 50 centimetres going the other way, I think it was a boundary and puts doubt in Boomer's mind and puts doubt mm. in it. So that's their logic. So you can't. I understand. Well, I disagree. I just I think it's stupid. I think the history of test cricket has proven sometimes you need to, you know, go down the gears and, um, you know, play more you sensibly. Do, but, you, no, but see what what you got to take on, minutes is you might say stupid, and but that's the brand of cricket they want to play. So when Owen Morgan, they're not team, winning. They didn't win in but, New Zealand. I see. They didn't win the Ashes, and they're probably not going to win this series. So well, for all a, their, well, their the, tactics is not working. But when Brendan McCullum took over, before they took over, that their winning percentage was 20. You can argue that they've gone from 20% to 70%. So they're happy with that. You can't be 100%. What is right, I reckon, England are doing is the fact that they're going and sticking to their principles. It's a little bit like, I know you had a go at sort of, you know, uh, Paddy Cummins uh, a little bit saying, what's his style that you want to play? Why are you being so conservative? Why are you... But if, if, if that's what you want to do, at least that dressing room is happy and you might not get the reward straight away, just like the Australian cricket team. We discussed this on the podcast during the World Cup. We're like, nah, they're gone. They're not picking the right teams. I can't believe so-and-so is picked. But at the end of the day, because the dressing room had harmony, they, they were all in on how they were going to play, 
Australia end up winning the World Cup. I'm not saying England's going to win 3-2, but if, if that's what they want to achieve, that's what, what they want to play, then be it. I understand. I understand people getting frustrated, and Joe Root knows this better than us. Like, he's the one who executed the shot. So, and I thought it certainly had an impact on him, and I thought he he actually, until that point, batted well. He batted well in the second innings. So it, it's playing on his mind now. And, and look, he, like as Ben Stokes said, he's got... 12,000 test runs. So let's see how he bounces back. Fair enough. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm, I think that I, I agree to some extent that obviously they're winning more games since baseball, but, you know, these sort of days just show why, you know, they're almost like these religious freaks who who just see everything in one way only and, and see everything in black and white. Like you need to at some point go, well, we need to pull it back a bit. And, you know, for example, after the third day, so England collapsed, Joe Swell comes out, smokes a century in the last session. Ben Duckett was so insane in the press conference. He said things, he said two things that drove me mad. He said he insinuated that England has inspired Jace Wall to bat more aggressively, which is complete horseshit because Jace Wall has always played that way and averages 70 in first-class cricket. It's got nothing to do with bats ball. And then Duckett said, the more runs we have to chase in the fourth innings, the better. And to me, that's disrespectful to test cricket to say dross like that. Look, whether they're, again, you know, whether that's part of strategy to be brave and say all these things in the media. If if, if that's what the, the team's all in for, then then I'm fine for it. But I, well, I just I, don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like that, the way they that, carry on. Fine. They're looking to entertain. They're not looking to please menace. And English cricket will never want to please menace. But Michael Vaughan said that that's disrespectful to Test cricket I, because the, like, draw, like, the draw is a part of Test cricket. You know, England should have tried to draw that Test match. Well, that, that Michael Vaughan is not part of that dressing room. I mean, no, I understand. Well, I mean, I, look, like I mentioned, Michael Vaughan's a classic example, a guy yeah. who when things are going good, he jumps on their bad wagon. He, he's never um, – anyway, the, the, the point being here, I, I agree. I mean, I think Ben Duckett instead should be having a good, strong look at himself in the mirror and probably thinking, well, if I was like Jace Wall. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have just got out for 150. I would make go on to make 250. Um, that, that's what. And that's I what agree. Jace Waller. But it's so, just this, the way they carry on infuriates everybody. And you know, there's been so no, much I backlash mean, look, to Duckett's comments because they're, they're arrogant. They're not humble. And but, um, but look, yeah. I got, look, having followed Indian cricket, when Kohli and Shastri took over, they would say it's things like that as well, and it infuriated people. But. I think they changed the dynamics of Indian cricket. Now, I think these two are also doing it for English cricket. That's my personal opinion. Um, I know you... you well, it's very unlikable. It, it, well, that's... The cricket's that's not opinion. just them, the way they carry on is. The cricket's not unlikable, just the way they carry on is. Uh, the fact that they think they're inspiring, like no one has ever batted aggressively before. Before they but that, turned but up, but that's that's the culture that that you know the like, cult to it's make them well to well. Should, all joint Scientology. That's what they should do. Well, <laughs> you also wanted Pat Cummins to do that, but you've actually think he's your mate now. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but just okay. Just so on Jay Swall, um, Yeshivi Jay Swall. So I want to read out his career stats. So he made two hundred and fourteen not out in that um, series. And you know, for me, this series is so intriguing because Australia have got India and England the next two summers. So we're going to see a lot of these players. 
Jace Wall now in seven tests has three centuries, two fifties, averaging 71.75. This guy looks like he's, well, he, he might already be the best opening batter in the world, but I guess we need to see him in different conditions. But what do you think of him? Look, he's got, I mean, it's just hard work. I mean, I was, I was reading a story where he actually spent, during the IPL, to get his power hitting going, uh, there was a couple of sessions when, you know, there was, I think the Rajasthan Royals had a four-day break and he went to the Nets at sort of, uh, you know, most IPL training sessions happen around that four o'clock and he left the Nets for two days in a row at 12 o'clock at night, like literally at 11.30, they switched on the state. He's, he's, he had two pairs of gloves which, which had blood blood on them because he was trying to practice, you know, more than power hitting. Now, that is dedication. This is a guy who leading up to, you know, during COVID times, found a, 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 an academy, um, a, a ground in a remote conditions where nobody was a, allowed, but he was allowed. He had people throwing things down to him and so forth, where he was practicing 10 hours a day. I mean, th- we all know about his past. He's, he slept in, you know, a tent in a maidan and so forth. But this thing, that, that just to get himself, how to improve himself, how to get better, and practice it again and again and again. Look, Menes, I'm a I'm a golfer. I love my golf, but if you told me get on the driving range and practice ten days, I, I would go after an hour. I'll go. Nah, I don't have the the dedication for him to just go do that. The, I mean, that's that's phenomenal. I yeah. mean, that that's that that's what makes this this guy. And I think he has nothing else in his life than cricket. No and you talk about hunger. I mean, you talk about hunger. Yeah, I mean, but- this. As you say, but, he came from a very, you know, you know, he lived in a tent. I mean, that's that's the sort of hunger that drives you to this kind of greatness. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, you know, he he's, he never went to school, I, I believe. So imagine from thirteen, fourteen years of age. Yes, he was. All he was doing was just playing cricket, and you know, he's obsessed by it, obsessed by training. It's it it just reminds me a little bit of Tiger Woods, you know, just so obsessed by the game that you just want to do it again and again and again to improve, and that's why he's standing out. Um, he's good looking, exceptional player on the subcontinent, no doubt about it. Um, we really didn't get to, it really didn't get tested in South Africa. I think that that the well, the first pitch was was okay, but you know, you're not going to judge someone after two innings. Although he did score. Pretty decent, thirty-five, I think, at the first, and then the the, the pitch in Cape Town was a bit of a lottery. So, I, I still think the way he bats is very subcontinental style. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll see next summer how he does again. Yeah, I, th- I think he plays with it. Yeah, I think he he's a bit of a he's a bit of a slicer. Um, he's very prone to nicking off in the in the gully in the cordon. But uh, look, it's very early. Chances are, for now and then, he'll probably find. You know, it will probably about 20 hours a day for, for, for 20 days before coming to Australia and he'll fix up that issue. Definitely. Another player to watch is Safraz Khan, who made his debut for India. Now, he's a player that has been um, on, has been scoring a truckload of runs in Indian domestic cricket, so much so that he averages over 70 in first-class cricket. Get these figures. He's played 68 innings, has 27 scores over 50, and 14 of those are centuries. So he makes his test debut. He makes 62 in the first innings and 68 not out in the second innings, averaging 130 now at test cricket. I was very impressed by him. Um, So what do you think of Safraz Khan? And uh, do you think maybe India waited too long to pick him? 
Uh, no, I mean, you still have this golden generation, you know, Rahane and, 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 and Pujara still in the yep, middle order. So, and of course, he's probably given a chance because Coley's not here at the moment. So, um, but look, I mean, when you're averaging 70 first class cricket, you're bound to get a go. There's probably, you know, they felt that he's more suited to the subcontinent. I think what Rohit Sharma and Dravid want to do is give these guys some runs under their belt. Um, especially playing at home because, I mean, you saw Safran's play. He, he, he's one of, you know, I, I think I think sometimes I look at it and wonder if Safran's was, was there playing in that that Indian middle order on that slow pitch at, um, uh, you know, the World Cup final, I think who knows the the result could be different, you know, instead of KL Rahul, I'm not so, uh, because he just knows how to play on a slow pitch. He just has he's got a little bit of unorthodoxy about him. A little bit like Jace, while um, he, he did go to the South African A-Tour, I, I think he, he still had a score of 80, but the other three innings he struggled. We don't know how he's going to play against the moving ball, but if you're 70 first class, um, if your average is 70, you know, you're good enough to play in any conditions. It's just the lack of exposure at the moment. Yeah, well, I think we'll see both of these players next summer in Australia, and I can't wait. It's really exciting. I'm, you know, my, I'm just getting so excited about this test series for next summer. All right, so that, so wrapping that up, basically, India are two one up in the series. There's two tests to play. The set, the fourth test starts in Ranchi on Friday. He's hoping it still ends four one India. Um, because I think that is the fitting result. All right, we're going to take our final break and then we'll be back to wrap up the women's test and all the domestic news. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menazan with Gav Joshi. And let's turn our attention to the multi-format series between Australia and South Africa in the women's game. Australia ran away with the series in the end. 12 points to four, the one-day T20 series with 2-1 each, but then Australia thumped South Africa in the test. It was an absolute mauling. And um, the South Africa were all out for 76 in the first innings. Darcy Brown took five for 21. Australia with three for 12 in reply, but then Mooney with 78, Healy with 99, Annabelle Sutherland with 210, Ash Gardner with 65, and Kim Garth with 45, 49 not out for Australia to nine for 475, nine for 575. South Africa were all out for 215. So, um, Australia win by innings and plenty. Um, Gav, in the end, Australia just too good. But it was curious, Marizana Cap missed the test match for South Africa. Uh, there's no real reason why yet, so that was a big exclusion. And Sophie Molyneux came in for Jess Jonathan, and JJ was not happy. <laughs> she wasn't. Um, I mean, Marizana Cap, I mean, we, we talked about Carl Jamison. It's a sort of a... You know, she's so instrumental. We saw her in that sort of that T20 game and the one days as well. She, she does so much damage. She, you know, she can bat. 
Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought she was injured, wasn't she? No, apparently she wasn't injured, and she was seen training and tweeting out stuff and on social media. And you know, there have been issues with the South African team management and some of the players, including her wife Diana Van Niekerk. So who knows what's going on behind the scenes there? But that was a huge miss for um, South Africa, and um, yeah, and, and Jess Jonathan. Um, that that's a big. Big change. She was in the last test team, and you know, Lucy Healy said she, JJ, will sort of have to work her way back in. But um, Jonathan wasn't happy, and quite rightly. Yeah, look, uh, South African cricket. Well, we we saw, you know, the the team that came against, of course, uh, New Zealand as well. Not just a T Twenty pressure, but we we know about the quota system as well. So they know the background of it. Um, but look. Um, what I must say, I mean, uh, it, uh, was the was the pitch a little bit too dicey? What, what did you think? I mean, it seemed to flatten out. Maybe on the first day it was a little bit dicey, but yeah. I don't think South Africa batted that well. Um, some some great stuff though for Australia. Elisa Healy making ninety nine when Australia were in trouble. Great captain's knock. Unfortunately, missed out on a first Test entry. Now her and her husband Mitchell Stark. Both have a highest test score of 99. So along with the sort of 10-odd World Cups that they've got in their trophy, they've also got that inauspicious 99 on their CV. She, she looked very nervous as she got close to 100 and then just chipped it back to the bowler. That was a real shame. Uh, but Annabelle Sutherland, what a player she's becoming. 210. It's the second highest score for Australia behind Elise Perry's 213. It's the fourth highest score in women's test cricket. Um, Kieran Baluch has 242 for Pakistan. Matali Raj has 214 for India. Uh, Elise Perry, 213. And then Annabelle Sutherland, 210. Phenomenal cricketer. You know, the fact that she's such a good bowler, she took five for 30 in the game. Um, she is almost Australia's next Elise Perry. Well, you you could probably argue that she, I mean, she probably is. Uh, I mean, where, how, you know, can, can she eventually, would she bat at number three? I'm not sure. Like Definitely. Perry has. Because the batting's really come about, and she started off. I remember covering the initial WBBL games where she was just almost batting at number nine and ten, a little bit like Elise Perry. I think when Perry made her debut for Australia, she bat, might have batted at nine or ten, and then you know she's just an all-round sort of. Well, I mean, with the skills with the bat as well. So I think we might even see Annabelle Sutherland turn into more of a batting all-rounder, maybe in another mm. two or three years. But look, phenomenal talent. Like, yeah, you're right. I think she's the she's the golden girl of Australian cricket. Indeed. And one thing I wasn't happy about was when Australia was batting, Kim Garth was on 49 not out when Australia lost its ninth wicket. And Alyssa Healy declared the innings, not giving Garth a chance to make 50. Um, you know, Australia was set to bowl, and I don't even think Darcy Brown, the next player in, had pads on or anything. But I think this is a terrible oversight because women's players play so little test cricket that Kim Garth may never play another test, but she may never get a chance at making 50 again. And, you know, they only play two tests a year, so I don't think it's a, it's a it's too much to ask your number 11 to be padded up, ready to go. And I heard Alex Blackwell saying on the Fox coverage that she thinks Healy will, will regret that, and they're the sort of decisions that Skipper you regret. Um, you get too focused on, oh, we have to bowl now. And as, you know, Australia 
certainly could have afforded the time to let Garth make a 50. So, yeah, not a huge deal, but I just think um, you've got to be better than that. Yeah, look, I mean, fair enough. I mean, but nobody plays for milestones. So I understand that. So, look, at the end of the day, Australia did win with, <laughs> with you know, plenty of time left, so you could argue about it. It just depends on how Kim Garth probably feels about it. Uh, so I know, you, yes. I know you had a bit of a Twitter battle with a former Australian cricketer about it. Uh, <laughs> but, but... Well, Trent, Trent Copeland replied and just said that, Darcy Brown wasn't even padded up. And I just think this is a it's mismanagement by the coach and Healy not to um, have Garth, give Garth a chance. I, I don't, you know, it, you know, in the, it happens all the time that the number 11 bats and then the next side bowls. It's not something irregular. Um, and I guess one example that's quite famous is Michael Atherton declared on Graham Hick at the SCG, I think in 1998, and Hick was 98 not out. And Atherton has since said, that is one of his biggest regrets of his captaincy, doing that to Hick. And I think when you're in the moment as skipper, you get so caught up in the situation. But with a little bit of distance, you realise that, you know, these are the little moments that these players will treasure as they when they finish their career and you, you sort of deprive Garth of that opportunity. Look, you, we can debate about this. I, I guess it's about the team culture. Um, uh, the, probably the biggest declaration is when... Tendulkar was left stranded in Pakistan on 194, not out. Um, wow. and, and you know, and Tendulkar still hasn't forgotten. And, and <laughs> well, there you go. So, is it worth it? That's what I'm saying. Is it worth uh, it? I don't know. Uh, I mean, look. You're saying yes. I'm saying no. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that was the Australian women's um, series against South Africa. Australia, in the end, um, running away with it. Well played, Annabelle Sutherland. That was fantastic. Um, just on domestic women's cricket news, in the Women's National Cricket League, Tasmania are hosting Queensland in the final. Tasmania are seeking a three-peat of WNCL titles, which would be a phenomenal achievement. New South Wales have done it before, but no other state has. So that is being played this Saturday. And I urge you, if you're around, tune into the stream on cricket.com.au or, or KO because last year's WNCL final was one of the greatest games in cricket history. Sarah Coit bowled at the final over for Tasmania, defending four runs. And I think um, South Australia lost five for nothing in that last over to, to lose the game when they had it um, on ice already. So a WNCL final, Tasmania, tune into that one. Um now to uh, the men's domestic cricket in the one-day domestic cup. New South Wales has made the final of the Marsh Cup and they'll be hosting Western Australia. It was quite an exciting last round. New South Wales beat Victoria in the final game to secure a home final. Um, they, so that was a great victory for them. On the back of Daniel Hughes making his 11th list day ton, he made 119 and New South Wales got the chase done in a in a rain-affected game. But 11 list day tons in just 46 matches, that's quite a record, Gav. It's a brilliant record. I mean, it's phenomenal figures, aren't they? Like, and list day cricket is, is for, you know, it's, it's it's a perfect combination where, you know, it's a combination of technique, but you still need to be able to hit the ball, get power, um, look, phenomenal. I mean, that, that is a, that's a very good record. Um, just on that, uh, you know, like the WNCL final, I hope a lot of people do tune in because it, it will be very exciting. Um, and as would be the, of course, the, 
in the New South Wales versus Western Australia um, one day cricket yeah, final. Yeah, Saturday, at Sunday. Central. Yep. Yep, Saturday, absolutely. Sunday this weekend. I think I'm going to head out to the New South Wales VWA game. Would you skip both of those if you had um, Taylor Swift? Tickets? <laughs> yes, definitely. That's a <laughs> um, Western Australia beat Tasmania to storm into the Marsh Cup final. Darcy Short made 127. And so WA, they're going for their own three-peat. So you've got Tasmania in the women's game going for a three-peat. You've got WA going for a three-peat on Sunday. And WA have won four of the last six Marsh Cups. So they are dominant in this format. So as you say, two great games on the weekend. Um, can't wait for both of those. Now to the Sheffield Shield. Well, it was a, an interesting round. Queensland beat South Australia, which was a bottom-of-the-table clash and will have little effect on the, the table going forward. But then there were draws for WA versus Tasmania. Sorry, Tasmania versus WA. Tasmania at home there. And after Tasmania took a big first-inning lead. It looked like uh, Western Australia were going to be in trouble, but they uh, batted out for a draw. And New South – sorry, I got that the wrong way around. Tasmania were a bit behind, but then they batted really well in their second innings off Caleb Jules, 200, and then Western Australia batted out for a draw. And New South Wales versus Victoria, the rain saved New South Wales because New South Wales were eight for 116 um, in their second innings. Victoria just needing two wickets for the victory and the rain came just before lunch on the final day and they never got back out there. So um, Victoria kind of robbed of a chance to go top of the shield ladder. So that means with two rounds to play, Tasmania are on top with 38.96 points, Victoria second, 36.94, but then Western Australia and New South Wales still have an outside chance of making the final if they can do well in their last two games. Um, but there was some good stuff for, I think, Australian cricket broadly out of this round of Shield cricket. So first thing, Gab, is I like the fact that Marnus Labashane was the skipper of Queensland for the first time. I think it's important to get leadership experience into him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Whether he's the next skipper, um, I'm not sure. Uh, look, he's, he's still – I mean, Marnus is 30, so – um, I think we're probably looking at someone more around that, you know, assuming Pat Cummins still goes for the three or four, four years' time, um, depending on his body. Who knows? Or, or, or maybe does Marnus sort of take over? Because Travis Head's also, you know, 30 years of age. So we're probably going through that phase that we need to find someone who's is probably sort of 26, 27. I'm, I'm not sure we have anyone playing uh, in the Australian team apart from you know, of course, Cameron Green, um, who's who's that age. So, uh, yeah, but nice to get some experience. It's, it's good for him you to just, get that experience, exactly. Yeah, you, you just never know. that You can, you know, as, as Tim Payne would tell you, you could be keeping in a great match and um, two weeks later you're captain Australia in the Ashes at the Gabba. It's true. Um, Alex Carey made 49 and 90 in that game for South Australia. So a nice little tune-up for him heading into New Zealand Test Tour. One stage to start the game, South Australia were three wickets for no run. And Jake Fraser-McGurk opened in both innings, making a duck and one. And I'm not sure McGurk is a red ball opener, Gav. I don't mind it in white ball cricket, but I think he's more a five or six in red ball cricket. 
Oh, I'm surprised you, uh, Menas, you haven't said that the way he got out both those innings, he should be packed off to India and made to open the batting with Joe Root. <laughs> oh, that's bad. They'd be patting him on the back, telling him how good he is. <laughs> oh, look I'm, surprised, um, I'm surprised Ben Duckett hasn't taken credit for Jake Fraser McGurk's faster <laughs> century earlier this summer and said that um, they inspired him. All right, so that was the, the first game. Then in W... Go on. No, I was going to say, help. you already hit the can't, can't let it go segment. <laughs> um, in Western Australia versus Tasmania game, in the second innings, Cam Green made 103 not out. It's his first first-class ton since his Indian test century earlier last year. So I think, again, really good for him to get some time in the middle. He made some runs in the one-day internationals. He's now made this first-class century. So I think he goes into this New Zealand Test Series with some confidence now. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing like runs under belt. You mentioned Alex Carey as well, a 90-odd, although, um, yeah, he, he wasn't the, the best shot when he got out of 90. Uh, but, yeah, look, Cam Green, he needs runs. Uh, you know, just speaking of sort of people like Tony Dodamate who are around us, and it just feels like Cam Green just – I know he's got one Test century, but he just needs one innings, one innings where he just bats and – you probably sense it was coming against the West Indies at the Gabba because he did all the hard work and the ball came up, hit his elbow onto the stumps. Um, but he's just one innings away. It, it could happen in New Zealand, but I think when Campbell Green scores that, you know, a ton at number four, whenever that is, hopefully it's soon for Australia, I think we'll see. A, you know, that change, you just got to be doing it at different levels. He's done it in first-class cricket. He just proved it again, averaging 15 first-class cricket. Just needs to do it test cricket. Well, I think once he does it once, I think we can see it's a different camp green. Agree. And then in the final Shield match, it was New South Wales versus Victoria. Nick Maddinson made 108, his second century uh, since returning to the Victorian side. Will Pekofsky made 131, his seventh first-class ton and first since 2020, so before his test debut. Peter Hanscom made 114. So going through each of these plays, Nick Madison is 32. He's had a phenomenal record since moving to Victoria. Do you think there's any chance he's a smoky to come in to the test side, say, next year if Kawaja retires? Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, no, I, th- I think they'll, I mean, assuming Will Pekoski's, uh, you know, all fit, fit and well to go, I think they'll definitely pick him because uh, Nick Madison's, what, 30, 32, 33 years of age? I don't yeah, think so. 32, I think. I, I, yeah, I think they'll, they'll look at Will Pekoski or, you know, <laughs> anybody else coming up through that system rather than, I think Maddox probably just missed that boat. Yeah, so we were lucky enough to commentate on a Will Pekofsky century. Um, he, so it's, it's an interesting story because he did a podcast recently for Victoria where he said, you know, he feels like he's ready to play test cricket again. He feels like he can string consecutive matches together. And he, he's, he sort of detailed his not just his concussion battles, but his mental health battles. But, you know, the fact that he said he's ready for test cricket is such a positive thing. He's now played two Shield matches in a row, made 65 and now this century. And he's also signed on to play for Leicestershire in the first five matches of the county season. So I think you're right. We could see him in the test team very soon when a spot opens up. But but one thing, I guess it's sort of a theoretical question I've got for you, Gab, is when I look at Pekofsky, I think he's got, you know, 
more time. You know, I often he like it remind reminds me of Mark War. Not so much in his technique, but his time at the crease. And he actually, you know, plays well, plays off his pads similar to Mike War, Mark War. Um, but you know, how, how much do you think sort of his look matters? Like how good he looks. Look, aesthetically pleasing player will, will always have uh, an impact on, on on selectors, you know. And and Mark Wall, you know, aesthetically pleasing. And he sort of when he, you talk about Nick Madison, you know, he, he sort of picked him on it. You know, his figures when he made that debut in two thousand sixteen weren't stand out. There's probably other contenders, uh, but it's just the fact that what Maddo could do, just that ease. You know, I always tell the story when I went to watch Nick Madison play in a in a New South Wales country again and first ball from Mitch Stark he hit you know straight over the top of covers for six first ball of the match um and you know if sometimes those stand out and that and sometimes you've got to get that you know you get that gut feel about a player and you just sort of pick them rather than constantly looking at numbers so uh, look it matters I think so it just depends on the type of selectors but I think sometimes you just got to leave the numbers out and you know almost keep the technique out and almost go Let's go have a look. Let's play him and see how he goes. I mean, his numbers are pretty phenomenal for Bukowski, still averaging close to 50 oh, yeah, first-class no, cricket. Yeah. No, and no, a very no, patient innings. We saw, very patient innings we saw. He certainly got yeah, for test I'm, cricket. Yeah, I, I was a, you know, it was a more of a question about how an aesthetically pleasing player can affect. But, uh, I mean, he's got, he's got numbers on his side. He's got everything on his side. Just the poor bloke hasn't had. You know all, all the issues he's had with concussion and 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 <laughs> his mental illness that's just holding him back playing for Australia. I mean, if everything was well right now, we're probably not even even talking about Cam Green because who knows if Cam Green even makes the squad because Will Pukowski might have locked down you know that number four spot or even the opening slot. Yeah, and I think he'll be earmarked as a player to get in that test side when a spot comes open. It could be at the top of the order when Kawaja retires. If Marnus's form doesn't turn around, maybe they um, leave him out for a while if Cam Green doesn't settle at four. So there are options. Yep, absolutely. But I guess the, the, the challenge for Bukowski, he's just got to keep playing, keep scoring runs and show the the selectors that he means what he says when he says he's ready for test cricket. Absolutely. Agree. All right, that is it for all the cricket news. It's been a, a long show, but let's wrap it up with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you can't let go through to the keeper. Uh, do you want to start this one off, Gav? I'll let you start. Yeah, I think you've been you've been waiting for a while. I think you've already had a bit well, of Well, I've got two. Matters, so okay, <laughs> I've go got two. Um, not Mad Men this time, but unfortunately uh, Mike Proctor passed away during the week, and he was before my time in watching cricket, um, obviously. Um, and I just wanted to read out his record because he didn't play a lot of test cricket, but he played a lot of cricket in England. 401 first-class matches, almost 22,000 first-class runs at an average of 36 with 48 centuries. Add to that 1,417 first-class wickets at an average of 19.53. We never got to see his best at Test cricket uh, due to South Africa being uh, barred from Test cricket due to their terrible apartheid laws, but um, clearly a legend of the English county game and a, a sad passing. Yeah, there's been so many things. It, it, it's a shame he's, you know, like 
uh, people don't talk about it a bit more. Like you know, Mike Proctor, to the younger generations, is probably known as uh, the, the the match referee rather than the credentials he he had with the bat and and, and ball, of course. Indeed. And my other can't let it go is good friend of the show, Peter Lawler, has retired from the Australian newspaper, um, so he's lost to cricket writing. He won't be on the paper trail anymore. I think he'll still be around the cricket scene, whether it's podcasts or on television or the radio. But, uh, yeah, no more Peter Lawler from the Australian. So in the last year, the Australians lost Gideon Hay and Peter Lawler. So cricket writing's taken a bit of a blow. Yeah. It certainly has. Great man, Peter Lawler. I remember first time Australian press, um, you know, going to Dubai for the Australian-Pakistan series, um, Australian-India, and, of course, every time, first time I entered the press box, Pete was the one who, who sort of approaches you and says, you must be new, by the way, my Peter Lawler, who do you work for if you have things? You're all part of us now. Come and say g'day. If you need anything, shout out anytime. So very generous always willing to help, really, really nice guy, not just with his cricket writing, but it's amazing the knowledge that that, that he has. Um, yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm hoping he, he'll always be around the press box here and there. I'm sure we'll see him around, but, yeah. Um, which brings me to my can't let it go, Menes. Okay. Yes. I mean, how disappointed are you not to wear the baggy green? What? How disappointed? What do you mean? It, 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 like, was it... Yeah, like, was it your dream to wear the baggy green or not? I mean, I think every Australian kid has well, that dream you know at some what? stage you know to wear the baggy green. But I knew pretty quickly I, that it wasn't going to happen to me. Well, well, never say never. Never say never. Because I saw a bloke play for South Africa named Sean Von Berg, right? I'm poor bloke. I'm going to stitch him up here. <laughs> Fair income. He's 38 oh, years I... of age. I, I see play, bowlers like that in, in club cricket for the last 50 years, or I'm not quite 50, but uh, 15 years, I'll say. Seriously, if that guy's playing test cricket, surely South Africa, you have a better, you know, get someone from the under-17s, get someone from the under-12s. I can't believe that bloke. What did he bowl? What did he bowl? What what does he bowl? Well, he bowls leg spin, but, I mean, fair dinkum, he bowls leg spin, but, I mean... I don't. I don't know how he, he's managed to play for South Africa. I, I, I'm sorry, but that it's 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 a disgraceful. Like it it really is. Nothing mm. against that bloke, but I, I just can't believe it. He, I, he's played 136 first class matches, so he might turn back and say, "Look, hey, 136 first first <laughs> game." You know, he, he he's got a hundred as well. He's he's got 477 wickets. How? What's his name? What's his name? Sean Von Berg. Wow. Well, Sean, you've copped a massive sledge at the end of the podcast. I mean, I would like to note it was like South Africa's third or fourth squad they sent. Um, I don't know, but, but you don't no, even just, think you should yeah. have been in that? Oh, for me, you shouldn't have been the second 11 for, you know, the Moorbank Rams down the road from me. Well, that's a big sledge. I like it. But you're talking about my dream of wearing the baggy green. I've told this story before, but, you know, when it became patently clear to me that my cricket abilities were only going to take me so far was I turned up at the Mossman Nets um, for training, grade training when I left school. And, um, you know, they said, I'll stick the pads on. And Brett Lee was bowling off his long run 
and Jeff Thompson was bowling and coaching him at the same time. So I'm in the net facing Tomo and Brett Lee. This is back in the mid-90s, so Tomo could still bowl. And I, I could barely see the ball Lee was delivering. You know, I could sort of get the bat down, but what I thought to myself was, Gav, that I could never – get on the front foot and drive this past the bowler. And, you know, you see great players do that, you know, Ricky Ponting, you know, beautiful straight driver. But, you know, I just realised, wow, I'm never going to be able to do that. I survived. Brett Lee didn't kill me. Um, so I'm glad glad with that. But that was my sort of um, realisation that my abilities were very limited. Yeah, well, I've just, I've just seen, um, I've just Googled quick info and I've got Andrew Menzel. Um, unfortunately, unlike Sean Warnberg, it doesn't have one cap for us. <laughs> but we'll wrap it up on that. Did you ever? Did you ever face a really good bowler or, or something like that and sort of think, "Wow, uh, this is a step up"? Oh, I, uh, the quickest bowler I reckon I faced, and he's bowling bowling about 130 at under 13 level, was Jason Grazier. Um, okay. He was before he, he was rapid. He had lots of back injuries. Pat Richards, who played for West Tigers, a rugby league player, he those two used to open the bowling. So, um, yeah, being an opening batter wasn't much fun. But, again, no no Gav Joshi on the Crick Info, but Sean Bonberg exists. <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, I'm sort of thinking back to facing Brett Lee now. I'm kind of scared thinking about it all these years late. I don't know how I survived. Um, oh, I think we would have – I'll tell you what, we both would have been able to handle Sean Bonberg. <laughs> No, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, definitely. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll wrap up this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, lots of cricket to enjoy this weekend. You've got the T20 International Series against the Kiwis. You've got WNCL and Marsh Cup Finals on Saturday and Sunday. So terrific week's cricket ahead. Gav, thanks for joining me. Take care and I'll see you soon. Talk soon, Menace. <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.